absorption. My intentional absorption in the ball began early in my training. I would go to sleep at night holding a ball and constantly visualise a ball. I used to walk around with a football, tossing it from hand to hand, kicking and chasing it, bouncing it, fixing its shape in my mind. It was garnering the experience of familiarisation, the state of knowing the shape of the ball being firmly there whenever I reached for it. You can gain complete mastery of space and find the stability of a ball, whether it is bouncing or flying or rolling, if your mind is used to clearly and calmly locating the flow of that shape under various conditions. As Philip Kaplow said in his Three Pillars of Zen, to enter fully into every action with total attention and clear awareness is no less Zazen. In an unwitting way, these were my first steps into Zazen. Another approach which assisted in also embedding the same empty but full focus was my taking up of the statement, get the ball. Getting the ball is the very basic requirement for winning a game. At nights when lying in bed, I had started pondering, how do I get the ball? Soon the question was being repeated day and night, so much so that it became my default thought. It was similar to koan practice. Over about a year of constant repetition, this was reduced to get the ball, then the ball, then just ball, 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 <coughs> ball. This, to my surprise, was also a method of ridding myself of the distractions and sensations of what contact with the ball feels like. If you are the ball, it does not hurt. Through this method, familiarisation became a kind of cessation. With the ball omnipresent, everything else got tied up, and thus other states did not count. If you are playing with thoughts, you are just playing with psychological states. Those tied by their psychological state trip up. The team instability is not shaken up no matter what happens. It could be said that they see the ball with clarity, fully and completely. To achieve this continued cultivation of one-pointed focus is important. I worked towards being able to just focus on ball continuously for about three years. I repeated it audibly and mentally. When my concentration was good, there were long pauses between each ball, but when my concentration started to wander, I repeated it more frequently. One-pointed focus must subdue all distractions. At first other thoughts kept distracting me, but then such distractions came and disappeared. That is, the distractions were never stable and thus didn't have to be suppressed or engaged with. The focused on ball thought became my foundation and fundamental core, like iron. My process of focusing seemed to follow a descending yet widening order. Thus throughout, at the centre of my mind, then my heart, then my gut was ball. I found that it had to get into my gut to be the pivot point of body-mind flow. I eventually learnt to do this reasonably quickly by counting down from 10 into ball. Once focused, I found I could gradually expand or narrow to either a macro or micro sense of being the ball and game. 
An interesting byproduct of all this was it made me very warm and very hot. Good skill to have in the middle of winter when you're playing football. Total focus, ball, ball, ball. For a player in a focused one-pointed state, you can make use of the realm of large or small, and time stands still or speeds up as required. For example, that everything seems to be active is a delusion. There is not a single flowing football. When you look with focus, there is just a footy shape going on and off within different points of space. The moments between each separate point is the empty space which allows you unlimited access to that ball. You can penetrate the deepest pack, make the most difficult mark, deal with numerous bumps and pushes, twists and turns and keep your balance. You are flexible but unmoving. The mind is totally undistracted and stable. At the same time, everything is distinct and stands out on its own. It is, yet it is seen from all sides and angles at the same time. Very useful for moving away when two players want to sandwich you. Very useful for knowing how to intercept the ball. It is thus a field of great intimacy. Another way of saying the same thing is that the whole field of play is intimately reflected in every player. Thus I didn't have to be anywhere near the ball to be in or influencing the game. Dogen says we can be like the dewdrop, not obstructing the heavens. This is the spirit of intimacy and our wondrous practice. It is also on the edge of that flow of spaciousness, the becoming process we can sit in during Zazen. Consequently, when I first chanted the great Prajnaparamita Heart Sutra, I felt I had come home. Form is no other than emptiness, and emptiness no other than form. Form is exactly emptiness, emptiness exactly form. Sensation, perception, mental reaction, consciousness are also like this. For all of my playing years, repeating a single word was my major practice. But it wasn't my only practice. Just keeping focus on the ball was how I drilled down into it all, but it was just part of the fuller picture of how I arrived there and settling into just that. For example, there will come a moment when other thoughts subside, but then distracting sensations usually arise. An itch. Feelings of hot or cold. An ache. A pain or numbness comes. You can see players who are almost totally focused start to scratch or rub or stretch or shake or stamp. It can be a good sign if when thoughts subside, niggling sensations come, but don't abide there either. Such sensations indicate that your energy or readiness system is warming up. However, mental attention to bodily distractions can also become just that, a distraction. Even worse, the physical and mental distractions can chorus together and the whole game becomes riddled with their echoes and shadows. If you fall into that trap, you're likely to give away free kicks and be half-hearted in your own efforts. Rituals. At first, getting focused also involved some prolonged rituals. These started with my father waxing and polishing my boots two days prior to a game and leaving them in full view of the family dining table to dry, <laughs> right opposite where I sat. They were a constant reminder of the approaching game, 
and the need for me to settle into focus. The two-day lead-in might also strike a chord for some Zen students as day three of a session can be when focus properly clicks in. And until it does, you had no idea you weren't actually focused. In footy, sirens and whistles provide further game day focus. In a similar way in Zen, we have bells and clappers as reminders of our practice. Getting to bed early before the day, game day, getting to the game ground on game day at a certain time, getting dressed, warming up and running out onto the field in a particular sequence, I was number three player in the line, all became part of my absorption rituals. On game day a heightened mental focus is as essential as any physical ability, technical mastery or knowledge of the game. However, I also knew such rituals were mostly absurd and eventually weaned myself off them so that I could feel relaxed yet also ready. It became ridiculous when I'd worn the same jocks for two years. Zen would simply describe this state of relaxed awareness as openness. It wasn't too difficult after three or four years of experimentation and honing to get into a deep state of absorption. I then found I could drop some of the rituals and take my absorption into other sports or ordinary life. Absorbed in reading, absorbed in watching dust floating in a shard of light, absorbed in writing. It annoyed mum because I didn't hear a call for dinner and she'd often be standing above me shouting. By the age of 15 I was mostly positioned at centre half back and relied up upon to run up to the centre line or deep into full back. But I wasn't always a backman. Although I was chosen in the state under 18 side at centre half back, in my early days I was played in a number of positions, from back line to forward line to ruck rover. From this I learnt that each of us have quite diverse capabilities. I think it has enabled me throughout my life to multitask and juggle many activities and roles. That is not to say that shifting from role to role, having to relate to different ways of reading and positioning myself to play, was at first easy. To the contrary, it was quite confusing. I'd regularly get caught in no man's land with both teams playing kick to kick over my head. I'd hang back at the wrong times, I'd go forward too far or too soon. During the game I'd get switched to the forward line where I had to make space for myself or I, or I was shifted to the back line where I had to stay glued to my opposition player and not give them the space to get the ball. I initially found it frustrating and wondered what the coach saw as the real Phil. But I quickly learnt that to get caught up in any one role or position can mean that you forget your essential skills and that your actual potential to shift roles or respond as required is what makes you a well-rounded footy player. Zen points at the same fundamental truth I learnt from this. One is actually always ready to relate to any situation. You just have to enter without a fixed set of thoughts, feelings or pre-planned way of doing things. Sitting Zazen and finding that you can't empty your mind, yet whatever arises will also pass, is also the first physical embodying of this. All the training and role changing enabled me to strip everything down to processes of body, breath and mind. I found I could train and discipline each of these and then and that strength and endurance relied on a balance of pace with centred rhythms and on actions free from passion. I found that when a forward runs he forgets his legs and so the back man's job is to make him remember them. 
that when a Ford marks his eyes and hands of the bull, and so the backman's job is to make the Ford doubt this by making his own hand, eyes and hands more fully the bull. In such instances as in the Zen way, there is no past or present or future, no eyes or hands or touch or object of thought, just the ball. Eventually this all translates into gameplay. You chase the ball, you grab it, you pass it on. When you've passed it on, the task of that moment is finished, but you remain alert and waiting for the next movement of the ball your way. That is because once you've begun a game, you should never give up. Your team needs your full effort and your best requires the respect of your full effort. So you give it. Full focus and effort will suddenly shift you into a state of mind quite different from any other. Often you realise this after the event, but the start of it is when you forget all your daily affairs, what is happening in the crowd, what is happening amongst the players, and watch the ball. Just the ball. The ball. And suddenly all is quiet, and wherever it is, the ball is floating in slow motion, very big, totally absorbing. What it is going to do, you become quite intuitive about. You are the ball, and everything else drops away. It is the same in Zen. In positive samadhi, even the noisiest places and the busiest activities operate in an all-pervading stillness. Still and silent, but active. The active component of each game also includes variables such as the weather. Footy is played in whatever weather conditions occur during the scheduled playing time. You can get sunburned. You can get soaked and catch a chill. You can't take shelter by huddling under a tree in a car in the change rooms. The weather is thus part of what makes up a particular game. If the flow of the play can be said to be like water, then the weather and the wider environment determine some of the speed and shape of its flow. I began to like playing footy across changing weather conditions. If there is no escape, then you are free within whatever conditions arise. Of course, alongside the weather, the umpire, spectators, game plans and the opposition's abilities are also influencing factors. Concurrently, a game also has different phases, rising and ebbing tides, swift currents and slow, with some almost stagnant periods. The perceptive players know how to either ride these out or use them to their team's advantage. They keep paying attention and don't get sidetracked. In their own right, each condition and energy is fun and can be worked with. Have no preferences. The warning here is that some players start to believe they play better on windy days or start to hold some superstitious or karmic cause and effect belief. The Enmajiki Kanan Gyog gives some advice here. Thought after thought arise in the mind. Thought after thought are not separate from mind. It is all mind and because of this a lot more can be known than is often presumed. Cooper quotes in his book Reflections by retired American national basketball player William Russell, who played centre for the Boston Celtics, won 11 NBA championships and during a 13-year career was a five-time NBA Most Valuable Player. In his autobiography, Second Wind, The Memories of an Opinionated Man, Russell evokes the mystical feeling that would on occasion lift the action on the court to the level of magic. And I quote, 
At that special level, all sorts of odd things happened. It was almost as if we were playing in slow motion. During those spells, I could almost sense how the next play would develop and where the next shot would be taken. Even before the other team brought the ball in bounds, I could feel it so keenly that I'd want to shout to my teammates, it's coming there, except that I knew everything would change if I did. My premonitions would be consistently correct and I always felt then that I not only knew all the Celtics by heart, but also all the opposing players, and that they all knew me." Unquote. Indeed, good players develop a sixth sense. I've not played at the professional level, however, during my playing days, I had the same experience as Russell numerous times. As already suggested, with right focus, everything plays in slow motion, and you can see the arising game patterns. Indeed, gameplay often looks like it happens in slow motion, sweeping waves. At one level, this is because teams have their set plays and players learn where to stand or which space to run into. To an outsider looking in, when these work, they appear to build or get driven by passion. As a spectator sitting in a stand, you often have a better overview and can see them developing or see the possible variations. As one gains momentum, many coaches, players and spectators ride the pattern, but also get swept up in the rising tensions and excitements of expectation. Without doubt, learnt patterns and passion aid the momentum of some waves. Even so, players taken over by emotion are very sensitive to the opposing tendency. They may look invincible when in a positive state, but are always vulnerable in their own duality. Here lies their strength, but also their weakness. Duality is a relative existence, but appears absolute. That is, it is only real in one moment of space-time. Accordingly, if the perceiver believes it is real as a continuum, this delusion can be used against them. A perceptive enough opposition can block or deflate it and bring it back to just a possible pattern. At that point, the opposition's consciousness and confidence gets tripped up by its own net. Seeing the game as a series of rolling and rising waves and noticing who is caught up in passion, who is distracted or who, or who really focused, brings about a deeper awareness. It all arises because, as we chant every evening, we ourselves come forth in perfect harmony, and to this end also because, as Hakuin Zenji says, in his Song of Zazen, effect and cause are the same. Hence every game is, as Russell suggests also, an extension or manifestation of our, of our own mind as shared mind. Shared mind allows one to have a greater feel for the turning points of a game. What occurs is the waves is cause with effect rather than cause and effect. The turning points in a game are when the cause and effect becomes too prominent in the thinking of a team. They then go on to lose. Winning is thus what happens for the side that stays in the flow. Noticing it can be distorted by the noise of the spectators, coaches and wound up players, but these are like a layer of treacle across the flow. The treacle side of a game is about notions of doing. There is another game underneath and alongside it which one waits and watches for. A way to describe it is that this other side of the game is still and unaffected by whatever is happening in the doing expressions. The fight and struggle part for the ball is endured, but not real. 
What is really defended or protected is this still point of the flow. The side which eventually locks into or becomes synonymous with this flow wins. You can definitely feel the shift in energy or power when treacle is left behind and it can happen at any point in the game, in the first or last minute or any time in between. But when it happens, every player on the field knows it. You learn to calmly stretch or collapse time to your benefit. It's interesting that if an opposition player is running within time, desperate and distracted by your focus, they give up. They can also be, de be deceived by the conceptual world they create around their expectations of what you will do. If you stand outside this, while their perceptions adjust, to them you momentarily disappear. This is part of the skill of reading, in the, the reading the play and being in the right place. But you must enter the play and forget yourself. Those players just conceptualising time lose. Thus the best players exist almost outside of time and are not predictable in their actions. They weave trackless paths. This is not dissociative. In a game your body goes through states and stages of distress and pain. This can be physical, mental or both. Yet you need to know that pain can be insignificant, minor, a signal you should pay attention to or imaginary. So every player has to work with the suffering of pain and be open to knowing it is there but also aware of what type it is. The only one worthwhile considering is the signal that something serious might be about to occur or actually has. The rest are not useful and some are downright distracting. Thus to focus correctly and enter the game fully, one has to learn to disengage from pain as an emotion. It is not actually a response, rather it is a felt sensation to consider, and that is all. For example, without the right mindset, jostling in a pack for the ball, or running at someone to tackle them, or having someone run at you, can cause aversion or fear. The great Prajnaparamita Heart Sutra shows the way through this. With no hindrance in the mind, no hindrance and therefore no fear. The right mental state is, in the midst of life, to forget or lay aside and not attached to subjective thoughts. You learn to focus on playing full tilt for each quarter, knowing that the quarter, half time and three quarter time breaks will come. It's not that you rest and recover then, it's just that the tempo shifts. Slotting into letting others control the time brings an expanded sense of honouring the process. You learn to trust that the umpire whistles and ground sirens will tell you what to do. Similarly in Zen we rely on trust on the bells to guide us. And although while sitting for prolonged periods our buttocks and legs, back and neck ache, we also learn that most pain or discomfort is just passing and that we can put up with a lot more of this than we think. Honouring the process allows us to find that all experiences, so-called good or bad, are all seeds of possibility. Hence, any practice around repetition and immersion builds a dynamic or creative interconnectivity that lays the fertile ground for something else to come to life. Thus, anyone can use their life to give birth to new life. There's nothing secret about it. Another way of saying it is that we are the bridges between experiences the warps and 
WEFs that know the pattern and keep it going. Bob Dylan about this in relation to his songwriting says, don't be fooled, I just opened up a different door in a different kind of way. It's just different, saying the same thing. I was just writing them. I didn't think I was doing anything different. I thought I was just extending the line. This makes you, even if you are regarded by others as a master of the game, nothing special. Indeed, the very top players have a sense of such ordinariness and are usually quite observant and self-contained. At the same time, they are never satisfied with their attainments. They keep practising their skills because on every game day it is a new game and the past counts for nothing. In Zen we would say they cherish their beginner's mind. Although I learnt a lot about consciousness and people through playing footy, for various reasons I stopped playing when I started university. Nevertheless, I will always be thankful that footy got me into my body and showed me ways to drop or expand just awareness and brought me to Zen. I learnt from footy that discipline and practice brings all things together, that the game, any game, is nothing but ourselves. Hence the footy team that I joined as an eight-year-old extends beyond the chalk line of the footy field into infinity. Another way of saying it is the bounce and flight of the ball continues to be my lifetime work. Or our Zen ancestors played footy with me and will do so beyond any final siren. So the next time you're at the footy, listen to the siren. What does it close or open? It will be just as if you have snatched the ball. How will you concentrate on it? Exhaust every ounce of energy. Live in the samadhi of innocent play.